Happy New Year, everyone. I hope over these last few days you've been able to enjoy time with your friends and family. I know that uh, our family has enjoyed that time. It's been a, a great kind of change of pace for us, and it's good to have the house full and have my kids home. And I've been reflecting on this season of Advent and Christmas, and I am really convinced, even more maybe than, than ever, that Christmas is truly a big deal. Now, I know some of you, you Hawkeye fans, that the Hawkeyes going to the Rose Bowl was a big deal, right? But even that compels in comparison to what Christmas is all about. Even if you strip it all away of this madness that we've sort of created around it, you think about you know, Black Friday and the binge buying of Black Friday and, and all of the parties and all of the celebrations and all the presents and, and all of the different things that we do, it's still a very big deal. From almost any perspective, if you were to strip it down, get rid of all the decorations, get rid of all of those things that we've added to it, it is a big deal. Whether you're Christian or not a Christian, Christmas is a big deal. This season that we're in is a big deal. And so I think that that really does beg this question, why? Why do hundreds of millions of people gather in places of worship around the world to worship the lowly birth of Jesus? Why do millions of families gather around a tree or a fire or a table and read the Christmas story to their children and share gifts in the tradition of the Magi over and over and over again? Why is this Christmas season, why is this such a big deal? And what does that mean for us in the new year? Well, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, we actually ask that question. Why? Why Christmas? Why Jesus in particular? Well, because Jesus embodied the very glory of God. And Jesus brought the very gifts of God. Things like peace and joy and love and hope and mission and purpose. And then on Christmas Eve, we learned about that Jesus brought light to a very dark place, maybe even the darkness of our own lives, that He is the light of the world. Well, I want to ask this question again. This morning I want to ask, why is Jesus' birth, particularly His humanity, His humanness, why is that such a big deal? In the words of John, it says it this way. John 1, verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh, and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why is it such a big deal that Jesus had to become one of us? Well, at one level, you can answer that question this way. We, Christmas is such a big deal because Jesus, in a sense, was an unbelievably influential figure, a human figure. Just look at our world. Jesus is probably the most influential person in all of human history. In fact, John Ortberg's written a brilliant little book called Who is This Man? The Unpredictable Impact of This Inescapable Jesus. In it, he explores the impact of Jesus' life on human history. He argues that most people, including us, who would call ourselves Christians, simply have no idea the extent to which Jesus impacted, has impacted our world particularly here in this western part of the world. 
In fact, he lifts up a few ways that Jesus impacted our world, his influence. And so I just want to share just a few things that that he writes. He says, our perception of women and children, Jesus impacted that. In the ancient world, children were commonly left to die of exposure. Or if they were the wrong sex, they were sold into slavery or often used sexually. O.M. Baki, who was a church historian, has written this, these words, that Jesus' blessing of children and his using them as an example to be spiritually emulated was essentially unprecedented and led to the eventual end of practices like exposure and infanticide, as well as to such innovations as orphanages and godparents. That's one way that Jesus influenced. Another way that Ortberg lifts up is Jesus' impact on human dignity. In other words, how he treated people. Jesus lifted up the Jewish ideal that every human being is made in the image of the one true God. And he made it accessible. He embraced the outsiders, the marginalized, people like the lepers and the prostitutes, Samaritans and soldiers and sinners and tax collectors and even zealots, which fueled a movement that sought to include every individual, regardless of ethnicity or status. In fact, one philosopher writes this, that the modern embrace of human dignity, rights, and justice is built on this Judeo-Christian foundation. And then Orberg lifts up some of these surprising influences that Jesus had. Just listen, think about this. Jesus is without parallel in the entire history of art. Think about all the great art and artists inspired by Jesus. Music, architecture, even our calendar system is impacted by, by Jesus. A.D. is a Latin term meaning in the year of our Lord. And so this is what Ortberg concludes. From the existence of hospitals to the notion of the universal human dignity and rights to the prizing of virtues like humility and forgiveness, our lives are simply unimaginable apart from Jesus' real life among us. So, no matter what you think about Jesus or his claims, you cannot deny the enduring influence that Jesus has had upon our world. Now today, this morning, the Bible, I want us to turn to the Bible. The Bible claims that Jesus' influence was no accident. In fact, it had divine intent and purpose. That his humanity served a greater purpose of God in the world. And so I want to look at a few of those purposes that God had for Jesus becoming one of us, like us. A real human being. And I want us to look at a passage in Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to read and you'll see it up on the screen. But from Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews is a fascinating book of the Bible. It was obviously written for the Jewish community, a Jewish community. We don't even know who wrote the book or exactly what community it was written for, but I think it was written for us to understand who this Jesus really is. And in chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Let me just stop right there, okay, just for a second. 
The first thing that the writer of the Hebrews says is, look, Jesus came to be a human being, not to help angels, but to help us, Abraham's descendants, human beings, other human beings. And in fact, he came to overcome death. And the way that he was going to overcome death is that he needed to become one of us and then die. So I would suggest to you one of God's intents for Jesus becoming one of us, Hebrews says, is so that Jesus could break the power of death. And he does it two different ways. First of all, he puts a beat down on the devil. Now I know some of you were hoping in the Rose Bowl that Iowa would do that to Stanford instead of Stanford doing that to Iowa. But that's exactly what happened in that first half. It was a beat down. It was a crushing. The way Hebrews describes it this way. He said that he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. Now this goes back a long ways. In fact, God goes all the way back, if you go back to creation, where Adam and Eve were in the garden. He says to the serpent, you know what, serpent, devil? Yes, you're going to strike the heel, but I'm going to crush your head. I'm going to defeat you. And so the writer of the Hebrews says basically this, Look, devil, you've had the keys to the, to the kingdom, this, to the car, if you will, and you've wreaked havoc for all this time, but I'm taking it back. It's mine. Jesus became one of us to defeat the power of death. He became human. That's an amazing thing. To say to the evil one, you cannot have this power. There is a new way. He also defeats the power of death by freeing us from the slavery of fear of death. The writer of the Hebrews says. To free us from the fear of death. To free us from that fear. There's a little book written by Robert Neal. It's called The Art of Dying. In there, he does research, and he finds that there's three basic fears that we human beings have when it comes to death. One of those fears is loss of mastery, he calls it, or loss of control. We really don't have control, it feels, when it comes to our, our death. He also says one, another fear is fear of incompleteness and failure. Like somehow our lives don't matter or we didn't do all that we set out to do. So we fear that we might not accomplish all the things that we'd hoped to accomplish. And then he says, the last fear that's universal amongst human beings is this, that there's a fear of separation from loved ones. Now if you ask me, I'm convinced that Jesus is the answer to all of those fears. Think about it. We who are followers of Jesus, yes, we fear death, this loss of control, but we know one who has gone before us. In fact, he said to his disciples just before he was crucified, he said, you know what? In my father's house, there are many rooms and I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
I'm going to a place where you cannot come right now, but I'm going to a place where I'll prepare this place for you. And then Thomas, and beautiful Thomas that he is, he says, well, Jesus, how do we know? How do we know? Jesus said, you know what? Here's how you know. I am the way. I am the truth. You just follow me, and I will take you there. You don't have to worry. You just follow me. You trust me. And I will take you to my Father's house. That's an amazing gift. Or fear of incompleteness and failures. Those of us who are in Jesus, who trust Jesus, believe and understand that death is not the end. Death is but a pathway into a new beginning into a life that God intended for us from the beginning. It's not the end, but the beginning. Or fear of separation from loved ones. As I read the Scripture, as I read about this heaven, and I see it in the Scripture, is that it is a gathering of God's people, not unlike this, from every tribe, every nation, every people group. And they are worshiping the Lord. And the writer, John, in Revelation says, there's no more crying. There's no more suffering. We can be reunited with those we love in Christ. Jesus came to be among us, to be one of us, to break the power of death. Christmas is a big deal when we celebrate that. Here's the second reason that the writer of Hebrews says why this Christmas is such a big deal. Because Jesus became, he says in verse 16 or 17, let me read, for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people of God. Now just to explain that just for a second. Writer is, is referring to Hebrew worship. And in Hebrew worship, it was one person, the high priest, who once a year got to go into this place called the Holy of Holies in the temple, where they believed that God's presence resided. And he got to go on behalf of all of God's people and represent God's people before the Lord. And he would bring a sacrifice, an unblemished lamb or goat. And he would bring that, that blood and that sacrifice to the altar in the Holy of Holies. You know what Hebrews is saying? Saying Jesus came to be among us, to become the high priest who would represent us before God. But let's just take it a whole step further. Not only that, it says, the Bible goes on to say, Jesus not only became the high priest, he became the one who was sacrificed for us. This perfect sacrifice. First Peter three, eighteen says this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned. So, why is Christmas a big deal? Jesus was this perfect substitute sacrifice. 
Let me just read one more verse. In Hebrews, it says this, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So why is it a big deal? Jesus broke the power of death. He became this perfect substitute. But he also helps us in our temptations and trials. One of the things that we've uh, enjoyed over these last few days is family time and uh, telling stories around the table, around uh, really in our family room. We have this place where we just gather. And we started telling these family stories, and, and it was amazing how things started coming out, and we were laughing, and we were crying, and, and all of these different things. And I remember sharing, beginning to share some stories about when I was serving at church in New York City. My kids started asking me about that time. And Maximiliano Camposano came up in our conversation. Now, to, I hadn't thought about Max for years, but Max was one of these kids who who needed to be around some others and just needed company. In fact, he lived across the street from the church. And so when I was working in this church in New York City, I would come in and he would literally be in the window if he was home and he'd be waiting for me. And he'd shout out of the window, he'd say, Stain Hookay! <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, it's Max. And, and there he'd come over and he'd, he'd be with me all day long, the entire day. So it got to the point where I literally was trying to hide before I came to church and trying to sneak into church without him seeing. But without fail, it's like he'd say, Stain hooky! And he'd come. And there we would hang out and he would just be alongside for the, the whole day. Well, one day I finally grabbed him and said, Max, you know what? Sometime, can, can I come see your place? Can I enter into your world? And he had to think about that. And he said, yes, yes, I'll, why don't, why don't we do that? Okay, so I remember going, and I remember walking into this building, and I was like, wow, this is different. It was dark, and it was dungy, and we go up this narrow stairway up to the third floor, and we enter into this apartment, and I, I kid you not, I'm, I'm guaranteeing it, it hadn't been touched for probably 30 years. It was clean, but it was Spartan. There was almost nothing in there. And I remember walking down again another narrow hallway, back towards the back of the apartment, and into his bedroom, and there in his bedroom, there was a few clothes on the floor, and there was a mattress on the floor, and that was it. Nothing else. And right in that moment, I thought, wow, this is so different than my experience. And my compassion and my love for Max was changed. I walked in his shoes just for a moment. And I began to understand that his world is very different than my world. And I think about that for us. Why is Christmas such a big deal? Well, it's because Jesus became one of us. He walked in our shoes. In fact, it says He suffered and was tempted. And so whatever you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, 
Jesus understands. Jesus understands. That's an amazing thing. Jesus understands. Our temptations, our trials, and He simply wants to help. I want to help. I want to be with you. Jesus came to do some big things. To break the power of death. To become our sin substitute, if you will. So that we might be freed to be in relationship with the Father. But right now, here, now, He wants to be with you. In fact, I would say that's the last big sort of reason I want to share today. Is that Jesus came to show us how to really live. How to really live. John 10.10 is a favorite verse of mine. It simply says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Dallas Willard says, to live a life, to live an eternal kind of life, even now. That's why Jesus came, to show us how to live. So it sort of begs the question, what does that life look like? I don't know what your perception of Jesus is. Some of us, I know, even from my own experience, you see what happens on how they portray Jesus in these movies, and you think, oh, sort of this otherworldly spiritual character. Well, how can you do that? How can you live that kind of life? But I don't think that's what Jesus was. I mean, he broke the rules, social rules. He was had a sense of humor, all of those things. Or sometimes we view Jesus and it's all about doing good and being good. I think it's sort of this combination, if you will. He shows us how to live. In fact, throughout the book of John, Jesus is always going to the Father. And saying things like, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only go where He tells me to go. And then an amazing shift happens. He says to His disciples this, The kind of relationship that I have with the Father, I want you to have with me. I want you to have with me. So what if in 2016 we decided that we were going to worship God the way Jesus worshipped the Father? We were going to engage His Word the, the way that Jesus sort of engaged with the Father in conversation. To live a Jesus kind of life. In fact, I wondered, I challenged the the Grundy campus this last week. I said, what if, what if you chose to choose one book of the Bible, maybe a gospel for this coming year? You said, you know, I'm going to learn about what it means to live like Jesus, to live and love like Jesus. I'm going to choose that one gospel. And over the course of this year, I'm going to learn to live and love as he lived and loved. To abide with the Father, to love the people around me, and even to be sent as Jesus was sent to us. Let me just say this, friends. I hope, I hope that you capture sort of the spirit of the season. You recognize 
how big this is for us, that Jesus came to be among us. That He came to free us from death and the power of death, but He came to show us how to live. How to live with one another, how to live with our neighbors and friends, how to live a life with the Father. It made a huge difference for you and I, for those who trust Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for this season of the year in which we can celebrate Your goodness to us as expressed by Your Son. Lord, thank You for coming to be among us, to live with us, to break the power of death, to break the power of sin that we might have a way to be with you, but also to be with us now, here in this place, through our own personal struggles in this life, that we might enter into a life to come. Lord, thank you for loving us in this way. Thank you for showing us again and demonstrating over and over again your love for us. Lord, bless us in this new year. May we follow you. May we seek to live and love as Jesus lived and loved. And I pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.